Praise God. Amen and amen. I don't know about you, but increasingly I find it more and more difficult to recognize people with their faces behind a mask, you know. Uh, the day will come when, you know, everything is unlocked and we're back to normal and I won't recognize people because I'm so used to seeing them with a mask, you know. Uh, I don't know whether you have that kind of problem, but uh, I'm not very good sometimes at recognizing faces uh, and names, uh, but by God's grace, I've got a wonderful, wonderful wife, you know, who tells me uh, when my memory fails me. And sometimes we get people who actually give me, uh, give, give us uh, treats, uh, you know, and pay for our meals. And I'm like, who is that? Okay. Hi, pastor. They said, hi. <laughs> and thank you for the meal. But, uh, you know, we would just laugh at each other and say, who is that? And eventually we find out much later. But, you know, so that's, that's why, uh, you know, it's great to be a pastor because you're always walking in the blessing. Uh, somebody is here to bless you. And so I'm really blessed to be here in Harvest Generation today to bring God's Word. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Um, before I start my sermon this morning, I'd just like to uh, just introduce you to uh, the latest book that I've written. It's called The Invasive Kingdom. Uh, and The Invasive Kingdom is really about uh, you going to work on a Monday morning and being the kingdom of God that invades the workplace. I don't know whether you find significance in going to work or whether you feel Sunday has any relevance to Monday at all. If you read the scriptures, you will find this is what Jesus wants us to do, that you are no different a person on Sunday as well as Monday. It's the same person. Everybody say same person. You're not saying it loud enough. Somebody say same person. You are the same person going, uh, going to work on a Monday. Now, the question is, you may have the most wonderful, exuberant, uh, you know, hair-rate, goose, goose bump experience here, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you in a powerful way. You cry, you weep. And then the point of the matter is that 87% of people, when they leave their doors on a Monday morning, they've left God behind. In other words, they've dichotomized uh, their own existence, or, or their, 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 their beliefs, their, their, the presence of God, they don't bring God to work. God has been left behind. Now, I'm not sure whether it's talking about you or whether this is true of all of us here or the majority of us or the minority of us here, but the point is really this, that God wants us to bring the kingdom of God to where we work. Can somebody say amen to that? You to, I tell you what, Pastor Brenda, Pastor Bre uh, uh, Ryan, myself, Pastor Nancy, there are many people we cannot reach in this nation, you can reach them because you're in that industry, you're in that sphere of work, you're in that, you're in that office, you're in that location. You, you can reach them, you can touch them. And so what is it that enables you to bring the kingdom of God to work? What is it that empowers us? It's the invasive kingdom. It starts every Monday morning. And the largest unreached mission field in the world, the largest, is not the 1040 window, it is the nine to five window or to 8 to 7 window if you work in KL, okay? It's at 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. That's the largest window in the world, mission field in the world. And that is the window that's been left totally untouched by the church. But yet, it is the largest mission field. It is the most accessible mission field. So, what's the purpose of a Sunday? The purpose of a Sunday is to come into God's presence, is to be encouraged, to be inspired, to be empowered, to be equipped for what? Just for a good, nice uh, feeling on a Sunday? Yes, but more than that. What? For God to give us a fresh vision? Yes, but more than that. It is to begin to bring His presence, His kingdom into our place of work on a Monday morning. Somebody say amen. That's why you're being equipped here, my friends. That's why you're here to, to not just receive your 20 cents worth, but when God comes and impacts your life, fill you, you know, empower you, equip you, inspire you, give you a fresh vision, it is so that you may be a channel of His kingdom when you go to work on a Monday morning. And so it's called The Invasive Kingdom. So there are two other books I've written called Slingshot. One is Slingshots, which are um, larger nuggets of life for the soul, uh, as well as uh, The Call of Issachar, which is a book on prayer. You can have, you buy one, you get one free as, uh, as long as stocks last, okay? Praise God. You ready for the word this morning? How many of you ready for the word? Just lift up your hands, wave it in the air, okay? Father, just a, a, anoint this place with your presence right now. Every one of us, oh God, right now, that our hearts may be ready to receive from you this morning, that something will happen into our spirits, oh God, as we hear your word, that your voice, oh God, will not be just 
my voice, it won't be. Take what is, what is yours, O oh God, and just instill it into your hearts and deposit it. Empower our lives afresh so that we long and hunger for you and we encounter you this morning in a fresh new way. You know where we are right now, every one of us. Lord, where we are in our paths, in our journeys right now, what are mountains we are facing right now? What are the challenges? We don't look to any of these right now. We look to you, Jesus, right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit right now. We invite you. Welcome, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen and amen. Okay. The world tends to remember the words of our people, famous words of people, the last words of famous people, okay? Many, 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 many words uh, of very famous people are the things that sometimes grab the attention of people uh, in the world. And uh, you may or may not remember, but uh, I wonder if you ever watched the movie Gandhi, you'll find that uh, when Gandhi was actually shot and assassinated in 1948, um, his final words were, Oh God. That was his final words. When President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in 1963, he was in Dallas in a motorcade. And uh, Sarah Connolly, the wife of the governor of Dallas, turned around, sitting in the front, turned around to President John F. Kennedy with his wife, turned around and said, President Kennedy, and the people were waving and cheering, you can't say Dallas doesn't love you. And Kennedy's words were, obviously, bang, a shot rang out, pierced his brain, and that was the end of President Kennedy. Princess Diana's last words, when she was found by the paparazzi that was chasing you know, the motorcade she was in, the car she was in, and the whole car was, uh, was, was crashed in the, uh, the tunnel in Paris. It was a mangled wreck. Uh, her final words were, my God, what happened? And that was the last words of Princess Diana. Now, Jesus gave us last words too. We all remember his last words on the cross. We all remember his last words before he was taken up to heaven. But what many of us actually don't know was Jesus' last words when he actually was telling the last parable. The last parable. In John chapter 15, when, when, when he, he gave his last parable to his disciples. We know the parables of Jesus very well, but we actually don't know, uh, you know, we, we don't realize that this was actually his last parable. So when actually somebody is speaking uh, and giving your last words, often we listen very closely to find out what was going on in their lives. Amen? That's what we do. But often what happens is that when, when, often when we remember somebody's last words, they have actually passed away. Uh, and then we're like, oh, that was what he said the last time. Some of you may remember the last words your, your parents spoke. If you've lost your parents or somebody was dear to you, you may remember them. Often we wish we had spent a little bit more time with them. But in John 15, when Jesus spoke his last words, uh, uh, his last parable to his uh, disciples, uh, this is what he did. Um, when he spoke his last parable to the disciples, he told them he was going to go away. He was going to go away. And when he told them he was going to go away, he told them at the same time that, you know, he will be with them. And if they learned to actually abide in him and stay in his presence, uh, although he was not going to be present with them, they would live a very full, fruitful life, productive life, an abundant life. How many of you want to live a full, fruitful, productive, and abundant life? Can I see your hands right now? You've got, many of you, you've got a long way to go ahead of you. Okay, so let's, let's, read, this, uh, let's read this first. John 15 verses 4 and 5. Let's, let's read it aloud together, okay? I want you to really read it aloud together. It needs to be loud enough so that it really gets into your spirit. Ready, go. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Jesus said, abide in me. Everybody say, abide in me. And Jesus said, and I in you. It says, if you allow me to abide in, 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 in you, if you choose to abide in me, I will abide in you. And he who abides in me will bear much fruit. So physically, Jesus says, I'm not going to be with you. But you can have my presence and you will bear much fruit for the rest of your life. You can have a life that's full and abundant. You can have a life that, that, that as though I was physically present with you. 
if you will allow me to abide in you. Now, I know that the, the, uh, the present NIV translations translate the word abides as remain in we. Remain is, is okay. It's not, it's, it's not a great word. But abide is a great English word. It means not just remain, but it means you lovingly continue to have a loving relationship with that person and he will stay with you for the long term. That's what it means. So let's look at the next uh, slide. What does it mean to abide in him? Many people ask, oh, what does it mean? Pastor, yes, I know. Uh, Jesus lived in me. So, so what does it mean uh, for me to abide in him? Well, uh, this is what it means. Uh, and next, it means that we are surrendered to him. His life flows through us. Everybody says surrender. So it means that we surrender to Him. There's a surrenderedness in our lives to Him. Uh, that's the first thing about abiding in Him. Uh, let me just tell you a story, uh, what it means. In the year 1983, in the year 1983, I was working in a hospital in, in, in London at that point. I was training uh, as a medical doctor and I'm working in a hospital that did cardiothoracic surgery. Okay? And not only really did they do cardiothoracic surgery, this was early days. There actually was one of the few first hospitals in the UK to do heart transplants. I used to see people coming in, you know, totally uh, on the brink of death. They were 21 years old, 22 years old. They were literally on the brink of death. Uh, their hearts were failing. Uh, and they, the only thing that would save them is a heart transplant. Just to walk a few steps from here to the door, they would be gasping for breath. They can't manage steps. And they would come to this hospital for a heart transplant. Um, in that year, while I was working there in October 1980, uh, that, that year, there was a Scotsman by the name of John McCafferty who came into uh, uh, for heart transplant. And John McCafferty was 39 years old. He had a failing heart. Now, he was on transplant list, but I didn't know him. He just happened to be one of the patients on the list. Uh, but history was being created that day uh, when the heart transplant was done by Magdi Yakub, you know, one of the famous heart transplant surgeons in the UK at that time, now Sir Mark D. Yacoub. Uh, and the, the, the history that was being created was unknown to all of us at that time. McCafferty be, eventually became the longest surviving heart transplant patient in the world. He lived an amazing 33 years after that and died only in the year 1976. And so I knew I had a little bit to do with history here without knowing that history was being created. McCafferty was asked, Later on, what does it feel to have another heart beating in you all these years? All these years, a heart, a heart beating in you. He said, you know what? It is something that, that remains in me, that abides in me, that, that just empowers me to have, to have a, a meaning in life, to have productivity, to have fruitfulness in life, to have relationships in life that otherwise I would never have. I'm so grateful for this, this heart. I'm so grateful for this life that's beating in me. I'm always aware of this heart. Always aware of this heart. You know, one of the things that I, I find about many of us as humans, we've never had a heart transplant. You know, I don't think any one of us has had a heart transplant. There's one thing of people who have heart transplant. They really care for their hearts. Really, really care. If they're smokers, they stop smoking. You know, they really, really care for their hearts. But you know, the Bible tells us, take care of your heart, for out of it comes the issues of life. Remember that? But many of us actually don't look after our hearts, but this is the place where Jesus resides. So to abide in Him is to begin to surrender to Him so that His life and His heart lives in ours right now. Uh, right now, so John 15 verse 4 to 5 tells us in the message, it says, live in me. It says, live in me. Now, this is a modern version of what Jesus was trying to say. Can we say it aloud? Ready, go. Live in me. Let's read it aloud, go. Live in me. Make your home in me, just as I do in you. You can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. When you are joined with me, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. So it says here that you need to live in him uh, right now. What does it mean? Well, you know, you look at a grape that's on the vine, because Jesus was talking about the, the, the story of the grape and the, and the vine and the branches. 
You know, many people think that the grape defines the vine. No, it is the vine that defines the grape. Without the vine, there's no life flowing into the grape. The grape has no existence. You know, many people say, well, you know, the grape actually defines the wine, the wine that we make. Directly, it is true, but indirectly, it is false because without the vine, you will not have the wine. Okay, because there will be no life flowing into the grape. The grape will just drop off and die. So Jesus says that unless we abide, that life that, there will be no life flowing through us. We will be living, you know, on, on our own steam, as it were. Now, one day I spoke to my gardener. I said to my gardener, you know, uh, that tree that's uh, blocking all the sun just outside, we were just living next to the woods. Uh, so, you know, uh, that, that tree that's outside blocking the sun, can you just cut it down? It's quite a big tree. And the gardener said to me, Tapaya boss. Yeah, saya, saya, you know, what ini saja. So he just ringed the tree. And all he did was just ring the tree. And I said, Ini bolehkah? He said, Boleh memang kau, kau lihatlah boss dalam dua minggu, tiga minggu dari sekarang. So in two, three weeks, sure enough, the tree began to die. It began to die. It began to shrivel. Uh, the leaves dropped off. The branches dropped off. It dried up. And why? Because the life that's meant to flow and give life to the tree. That life is gone. There's no life there. There's, there's no, no life. And so within a few weeks after that, the whole tree dried up. Everything was very light. It's easy to chop the tree down and dispose of all the branches. And this is what happens to us if we do not allow the life of Jesus to flow through us. And, and you know, I, I just want to say this, that one of the great things that's happened in, in, in this is this, that the second thing, is that not only do we surrender, when we surrender, His presence now lives in us. So we, we yield it to Him. We say, Jesus, you live in us. And then you find that you're very aware of Him. It's just like a guy with a heart transplant. You're very aware of His presence. You're very aware of the beating heart, just like a guy with a heart transplant. He's always aware of His beating heart. You're always aware of God's presence. You're always aware because you're surrendered to Him. You're always talking to Him. You come to a situation, you say, what would Jesus want me to do? God, what would you want me to do? I make this decision, Lord, what do you want me to do? Oh, Lord, you see, most of us, we actually want to, Jesus to talk to us, God to talk to us, only when we come to critical crossroads. But actually, we have not cultivated a surrendered life. We have not been aware of the heart beating in us, his life flowing through us, so that when we come to a point, we're like, is God speaking? God, why are you silent? Why not speaking? God today wants you to cultivate a surrendered life. Somebody say amen to that. Walk out of here and you walk in the street, talk to him. Before you go to sleep, talk to Him. When you're going to your work, going to your lectures, talk to Him. Cultivate that life. Because when you cultivate that life, you are used to His presence. You are really used to His presence. Pastor Nancy and I, we've been married for 40 years. And uh, I know what her likes and dislikes are. I, I, I just know. You know? We, we have these, these uh, two years of the pandemic has been some of the best years, you know, where we have laughed so much because, you know, during lockdown and quarantine, at one point we were quarantined 14 days in the same room in the same hotel. Many people asked us, oh, no, how, what was it like 14 days in the same room in the same hotel? What was it like? I tell them we are not divorced yet after 14 days. Hallelujah. And they're like, so what was that? We had fun. We, had, we enjoyed ourselves. We laughed so much, you know. We do, you know, we had our own things to do. I had my own work to do. She had us. But, you know, wherever, whenever we kind of come together just to chat, I know her heart, she knows mine. And she's an excellent housekeeper, homekeeper. She keeps home perfect, neat, beautiful. Uh, uh, and so, so when we, I come back home, it's neat. But supposing, supposing I come home and the home is actually in a mess. It's in a mess. Let's say it like that. The moment I walk in and it is in a mess. What do you think? Do you think I'll be angry with her? Do you think I'll be angry with her? No. Yeah. Now, those of you who've not been married long enough, you probably can't answer. But those of you who've been married enough, long enough, you would know if you have a great relationship with your spouse or your wife, you won't be angry with her. My first question is, something has happened to Nancy. Well, it's not, you don't care about the mess. Because you know that's not her character. You know that's not Nancy because her whole presence fills the house. So you know that that, that mess is... is it's not a character. There's something wrong. Either one of the kids is sick, something urgent has happened, and, or accident happened, something. You do not question her character. You do not question because you are so used to her presence. Everybody understand me? Amen? 
But you see, that's the problem with many of us. Because we don't know him. When things happen, the first thing we do is we question his character. We question God's character. Why God? Why does this happen? What have I... Lord, why are you... Because we have not lived an abiding life. We have not sought to have his life abiding in us. That's why we question his character. Is he committed to us? Does he love us? Does he care for us? Is he still with us? Not just because to find a house like that, say in a mess like that. I'm not going to think, oh, Nancy, that's a sign from Nancy. He wants to she wants to divorce me. No, of course not. Because I know her. You know, I want to tell you, so when, when, you have a re when you, something like that happens, what is your reaction? Well, I would tell you, uh, many years ago, uh, I was, I was in, in Scotland uh, wanting to sit for my postgraduate exams. Uh, and uh, I went up there and I was meant to sit it in, this, in this really somber-looking hospital. You know, this hospital, it's like, just the look of this hospital will tell you everything in there is really serious, man. You, you know, the guys you're going to meet in there who are going to be examiners are going to be totally very, very serious people. And I went there, and I knew my exams were starting at 2 o'clock. It was a clinical exams, 2 o'clock. I stayed at my friend's house up in Scotland, and, uh, and my friend had said, one of my, the friends who were saying there had said to me that he would come back at 1 o'clock to pick me up to take me to the hospital for the clinical exams. The hospital was half an hour away. So at 1 o'clock, I waited for him. He didn't appear. At 1.30, I was still walking along, you know, waiting outside. The house, he didn't appear. And then at 1.35, now it's getting too late now. I'm not going to make the hospital in time. At 1.35, you know, what, what happened during that time? You know, when you have a posture of surrender, when you know his presence is in you, there is a peace that just resides in you during a time. It's one of those rare occasions where I just felt the peace of God it was one of those occasions where I, I, I really distinctly remember the peace of God just settling on me. Settling on me right then at 1.35. I'm too late to get to the hospital now. And I still waited, knowing that God is going to make something good out of this, that somehow my friend would turn up. My friend never turned up. There was another friend of his who was walking by and saying, hey, what are you doing here? What time is your exam? I said, where? He's, I, I said, it's 2 o'clock in this hospital. You're not going to make it. He said, it's not going to make it. He, he said... Lulu, I'll take you. So he said, I've got something to do, but I'll take you. So he got him in his car, drove like the wind, and I arrived in this hospital just at 1.58, you know, two minutes. I rushed into the, the hospital and asked people where the lift was and uh, got into the lift, jumped into that lift, and the lift took, you know, these old hospitals, the lift took forever to go up on. When he got into the eighth floor, I can't remember, eighth floor, something of this hospital, seventh floor, I, I just rushed out of the lift and ran right down the corridor and I saw a head peek out from behind the doors of one of the wards. And it was one of the professor examiners. He was taking a final look to see if there was anybody coming. It was already 2.03 p.m. He was taking a final look to see if anybody was coming. Oh, he said, are you Dr. Lin? I said, yes, sir, I am. We've been waiting all day for you. Come on in. And that was it. I walked in, <gasps> panting away. And then the exam started. But the peace of God abided. And that was how I got through their postgraduate exams. Now, the reason why I tell you is not so much about getting through the postgraduate exams, but the deep surrenderedness and that assurance that continued to abide in me that even if I did not make the exams, it's going to be okay. I'm still going to, yeah, I'm still going to trust God. Even though it was messed up and I didn't, get through the, I, I didn't get through the exams or I couldn't make the exams, it's going to be okay. Even though I come into a room and it's the house back to the house and it's absolutely a mess, I know my wife still loves me. I know we're still covenanted in a, a covenant relationship that's permanent. It's not going to break. I know there must be some other reason. And it's the same when we abide in the Lord. We know there's some other reason. Either God wants to change our character God wants to take us a journey of faith to trust Him. Something needs to change in our lives. But we won't question. Why God? Why is this? What do you think? What, why, why has this happened to me? We don't question His character. That's the second thing about abiding in Him, where we abide. And you know, as we learn to do that, the third thing about abiding in Him. So the first thing is that, you know, the, the first thing is that we are surrendered to Him. 
That's abiding in Him. We're surrendered. We're aware of that heart beating in us all the time. We're talking all the time. The second thing is that that presence, we know His character and His presence. So we don't question His character. We don't question Him in terms of His character. We will know that He will bring good out of it, even in the mess. And the third thing is because we are empowered. We feel a power now coming through us. There's a power just coming into our lives. Because of that, because of the abiding presence, we now have a power. You know, what are sometimes the challenges of living in, in, in Sabah? Uh, not so much in KK, but in other towns sometimes in Sabah, is you get power cuts all the time. You know, we get brownouts in the past. We used to get a lot of that. And when you get brownouts, sometimes your, your own equipment is just like, this, you know, sometimes they blow because yeah, there's over-voltage. And if you don't have a consistent power supply, you find that life is very unreliable. Can somebody say amen? It is very unreliable. You, you know, you find, you know, internet is down, your electric supply is down, you know, you find life is very, very unreliable. It's the same here when we don't seek to abide in Christ. We find that life is unreliable. It's like, we, we don't know our relationship, but here it is. But when we abide in His presence, we are surrendered to Him. Power surges to us all the time, constantly. There's a power surge. We feel our life is con continually being empowered all the time. His life-giving power flows through us. Through us. Can somebody say amen to that? Next slide. Um, as we do so, you know, Jesus said this in the same way when, you know, the Bible tells us in the same way that uh, when power flowed through, Jesus wants us to know that something happens. When Jesus raised up Jairus' daughter, the Bible tells us she rose. Not only really that, you know, she was, uh, she was resurrected from the dead and she just opened her eyes. The Bible tells us she arose. Jesus took her by the hand and she arose, arose. And when Jesus resurrected the, the widow of Nain's son, next slide, it was told that he stood up and he spoke. He spoke. So you know that this man is alive. There's power flowing through him. A dead man doesn't speak. A dead girl doesn't rise. And when Jesus resurrected Lazarus, we are told that Lazarus walked out. So there's power. So that's the thing about abiding in him. How many of you want God's power flowing through you right now? The secret is to learn to abide. It's the life in the tree. It's the life in the grapes, in the vine. It's when you are surrendered in this way, as we do so. And when we do so, this is what happens. Why must we learn to abide? Why must we learn to abide? What is so important? Because there will be storms in our lives. There will be storms in our lives. Somebody say storms. Life will always throw you a curveball. There will always be storms in our life. Let's look at what it means. How many of you, you like to, uh, I don't know about you, do you like thunderstorms? You don't like thunderstorms? Some people are terrified of thunderstorms. But I tell you when the most terrifying moment is thunderstorms, when you're in a plane. Right? How many of you like turbulence in a plane? How many of you? Some people like turbulence in a plane because it's like a roller coaster ride in Disneyland. Hallelujah. They love it. Woo! Some people, I've heard people so going woo in a plane. They just love it and they're laughing in a plane. But most times I'm in a plane, it is deathly still, firstly. Quiet. When the plane goes, you know, it's turbulence all over. People are very quiet, right? Sometimes you hear a scream, right? I remember many years ago when I was a. Uh, I, you know, I was waiting outside the, the, the toilet. I, would, I, you know, I was in urgent. I really needed to get in the toilet. And then the plane hit turbulence. What do you do when things are very urgent and you need to go in the toilet and it hurts turbulence? Do you get back when they say, go back to your seat, fasten your seat belt? Do you go back or not? I don't. Because there are more urgent things than turbulence, I can tell you. Because this internal turbulence is worse than outside turbulence, I can tell you that. So I stood there waiting and uh, the, the students were pleading with me, go back. So I said, I cannot. I've got to stay here. I've got to stay. I've got to see myself through this turbulence. And they said, well, it's at your own risk. So I stood there. And then suddenly, the, the door, the toilet door opened, you know. And there walked out a big, oversized, huge, you know, Afro-American lady. She just walked out, out of, of the, just squeezed away out of the toilet door. And I, you know, was moving aside just to let her squeeze by me. And at that time, the plane just swung because it was in turbulence. And she fell right on top of me. And I swear to you, I think she lingered longer than she should on top of me. I tried to push her out and I couldn't push her away. And she was there lying and enjoying the moment. And then she managed to pull herself up. 
Wow, and she said, that was quite nice, wasn't it? I said to myself, not on your life, man. <laughs> and then the plane lurched again and swung again. I hopped out of the way uh, and uh, I went into the toilet that time. Yeah, turbulence is one thing. Well, Jesus says to us, there'll be storms in our life. That's why you need to know my presence. That's why you need to abide. Because when you abide and you're surrendered, you will know my heartbeat. You will know my character when storms come. And you will feel my power coursing through your life in the midst of these challenges. I'll give you an example of what it means. If we turn to next, uh, the, uh, the whole incident of Jesus uh, you know, on the Sea of Galilee in the storms. Luke chapter 5, verse 24 to 25. And they went, woke him saying, Master, we are perishing. You remember that incident? Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat, okay? At the back of the boat. And the 12 disciples were there crossing the Sea of Galilee and there was a violent storm. Now, storms can get quite violent in the Sea of Galilee. It can. Because the turbulence of the wind as it comes down from the Mediterranean, sweeping right down into the bowels of the lake, can actually whip up a, a really bad storm. And they were in the night that time, totally lost, didn't know where they were going. The winds were howling and the water was uh, coming into the boat. The boat was taking water. And they, you know, these are fishermen. These are fishermen. So they're used to storms. You know, they've seen the worst of the storms, but they were terrified, we are told. That means it's quite a storm. It really is quite a bad storm. You know, sometimes we think we're well, certain things we can stand, but sometimes we are blindsided by things that are really beyond us. This was a very bad storm. And this is what happened. And uh, they said, And he awoke and rebuked the winds and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? Now, listen to this. They were, you know, trying, they were shouting and crying out. And then they saw Jesus asleep at the stern of the boat. The boat was taking on water. And they thought, and they, as fishermen, they think, they know when the boat is going to sink. They more or less think they know. Because, you know, it's going to get, it's going to get bad from bad to worse. And they woke Jesus up and said, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? And Jesus woke up. And this is what he did. He rebuked the waves. And they ceased. And then he said to them, where is your faith? That's a very unusual encounter. Very unusual. You would expect Jesus gets up, rebuke the, the, the waves and the storms, and then everything ceases. And he says, sorry guys, sorry I was asleep. <laughs> good, thank God you woke me up. You know, thank God, it's good that you woke me up. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, storms, everything's back to normal now. Can I get back to my sleep? You'd expect Jesus to say something like that, right? Because that's the normal kind of things. He said to them, and the Bible tells us, he rebuked them. Rebuke means he basically chastised them verbally, scolded them. Where is your faith? That tells me this. It tells us this, that this was not Jesus' expectation of how they should behave in the storm. Jesus was expecting something more. Somebody say amen. Something more. He was expecting something more. He may have been deliberately asleep in the boat. Who knows? He was asleep, but he had one eye open. See what those guys would do. You know? Yeah. Sometimes when our babies were small, you know, we pretend we're asleep and we keep one eye open to see what they would do. Because <laughs> we want to catch them, you know, see whether they're the good boy, garanti boy. You know, just to know what they would do. Maybe Jesus was asleep and just keeping an eye open and seeing what they would do. Maybe he was truly asleep, but in his knowledge as the Son of God, he probably wanted something more from them. Here are a few things I want you to know. Number one, uh, why did he say, where is your faith? He was disappointed. He was expecting something more. Okay. In the storm, he gives us opportunities. He gives us opportunities to do some things. Okay. If he's with us in the storm, the boat will. Here's the first thing you must understand. If Jesus is in a boat with you, if he abides in you, the boat won't sink. You say, really? Yes, I give you the proof. You look at the circumstances in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22, and the circumstance is Mark chapter 1, 51. In Matthew 14, Jesus was walking on the water. You remember that? Coming towards them. And they were terrified, thinking it's a ghost. Remember that? And they said to one another, Alamak, hantu! And Jesus said, bukan, Tuhan! And then, what happened was when Jesus got into the boat, the winds, what happened? Ceased. Yes? Yes or no? He got into the boat. The moment he stepped into the boat, the winds ceased. True? 
Luke, uh, Mark chapter 6, same thing. They were rowing against the wind, we are told. Jesus came to them in the night. And as he came, he walked in, got into the boat and the wind ceased. Here's the point. When Jesus is in the boat with you, everything is under control. Okay, whether there's winds or not, he can control the winds. His children are in the boat with you, the boat won't sink. This is evidence to you, the boats won't sink. The, the disciples have experienced this before. The boat won't sink. Now he's asleep in the boat and the boat looks like sinking. Now you see, that's the thing about abiding in him. If you abide in him, he won't let you down. You don't question his character. You don't question his intentions. You don't question his plan. You just know it's going to be okay. Even though it's messed up now, and tomorrow it's still messed up, it's going to be okay. Why? Because you know his presence. This is like at a house when I go into, it's messed up, but I know Nancy. It's going to be okay. The house messed up is the secondary problem. It's not a major problem. There are other major problems. It's not the messing up of the house. I have a relationship with her. It's going to be okay. And I feel a power flowing through me. Here's the point. By the time the disciples experienced this in the storm, they had already seen Jesus doing miracles, healing the sick, raising the dead, stilling the storm. They had already seen these miracles happen. So Jesus was testing them. Are you truly abiding in me? Do you truly know me? Or don't you? Or are you just following me? Or you're just like tagging along for a show, tagging along for a little bit of power, tagging along. So how are we walking with the Lord right now? I believe the word of God to all of us is, my son, my daughter, each one of you, you need to let me abide in you. You need to go deeper. How many of you want to go deeper with God? There's a price to be paid. Are you prepared to, to, to rest in him and be surrendered to him even when circumstances get bad? Are you or not? Yes or no? I don't hear a response. I, I can't hear you. You are? Why don't you tell the Lord that? God, I will never. The boat won't sink. I know it. The boat won't sink. You're with me. How do I know you're with me? Because I am surrendered to you. I already feel your presence flowing through me because I'm so used to your heartbeat. And I feel your power in this circumstance even though the boat is taking on water. The boat won't sink. I know that. So once you're abiding in Christ like that, then there are three particular options that can happen. The first option is you panic like the disciples did. And they woke. You panic and the disciples wake him up. They cried out to him, Oh, Master, we're perishing. We're perishing. Don't you care about us? Jesus, don't you care? Look at all the, the circumstances I'm in. Lord, you said you'll be with me forever and you'll never leave me nor forsake me. God, look at this. I failed my exams. I've broken up a relationship with my boyfriend. Look at me. Look at me, Lord. Uh, my parents are fighting to, for divorce. Look at me. I'm in a bad mental state right now. God, don't you care? They panicked and they woke him up. Where does it come from? That comes from really like I'm able to save myself and I'm entitled to all that you can give me but when I need you then I'm entitled to call you lah. That's it. You just come and do your bit lah. That's what it means. You know, I'm doing you a favor when I'm following you, Jesus. You know what? Because, you know, you, 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 you can hold me, you can guide me, you can help me but, you know, you can save me. Yeah, I need it now. Save me. That's what they were doing. First option. They took that option. That's why Jesus said to them, where's your faith? If I were to come back home and I saw the, the house in a mess and I picked up the phone and, and, and you know, I, I not picked up the phone, I just dialed Nancy's number and said, where are you now? Why is the house in a mess? What do you think? What, what, how do you think she will feel? She would probably say, don't you want to know why the house is in a mess? Don't you trust me? Have I ever put the house in a mess before? Like it's just like you know, one of the true tests of husband and wife relationships is when the wife comes to and says, Darling, I'm so sorry, I had an accident. You know, I, I banged the car, the car, you know, I, there was this driver was going too fast, but I still wasn't looking and I banged. You know, by the husband's response, you will know already whether he truly loves the wife. If his response is, So, what's happened to the car? You and the, the Mercedes, what's happened? Then you know already. The first question of the husband, if you're a husband, you're, you know, just remember this. Your first question is, Darling, are you all right? Even though she walks in totally unscathed, you must ask her, are you all right? Somebody say amen. All the married men say amen. Otherwise, there'll be trouble. Okay. So right now, that's what it is. 
That's the first response. And Jesus said, rebuke. What's the second response? Next slide. Let's move on. Second response. The disciples stay calm, calm and trust him and endure the storms to the end. Second response. The disciples know this. The boat won't sink. We've experienced it already. He comes to the boat, it won't sink. We know it won't sink. So Jesus, knowing to wake him, just let him sleep, will endure the storm to the end. There are people who are very resilient like that, and that's great. See, many things that we trust God and we don't give up, even when circumstances don't change, is a mark of resilience and abiding in Him. Somebody say amen. But here's the third response that we can have. The third response is, the disciples rise up in faith and take authority. No need to wake up the Master. His power is within us. His presence is within us. His power is within us. So together they start, they stand up. All 12 disciples they stand up. And they say to the storm, they say to the storm, peace, be still. They may not say it in the same commanding way. Lah. They may say, come on, lah, be still. Lah. Come on, in Jesus' name, be still. And then suddenly, we oh, find, oh my God, be still. And then they realize, whew, we can do it. And then they realize, they look at Jesus and they think, or oh, maybe that's why he wants us to do it. That's why he continues to sleep. Ah, he, want, they wanted us, he wanted us to do it. Oh, guys, let's wake up the master, tell him, we did it. And they might do that. And if Jesus had woken up, Jesus would say, well done, guys. Well done. That's what I wanted you to learn. Or if they had endured to the end of the storms, Jesus would have said to them also, well done, guys. You trusted me that the boat won't sink and you had faith in me. Either of those two options, who would have said, well done. Can somebody say amen? Sometimes you need to have resilience and go right through the storm to the end, onto the other side. Yes? Amen? Sometimes you need to take authority and decree and declare and speak into the circumstances and see them change. Yes? Amen? But what Jesus doesn't want us to do is because when we don't have a relationship, we don't abide in Him, we panic in a storm. And we shake Him and rage at Him. Why? I don't care for me. That is a mark that we don't abide. We don't know how to abide. You know, why must we learn to abide? Because we know what we will do next, okay? We will not know what to do next. So this is man is Nick Wojcik. You have heard of this man? You all know, he's famous. He was born without arms and legs. He's got a condition called tetramelia. So when he was a young boy, he was teased endlessly in school. And uh, he was teased endlessly in school. And he tried to commit suicide by the time he was a teenager. Uh, not once, but at least twice. He found that life was absolutely useless. And he was a young boy at that time growing up. His parents were pastors or preachers. Committed Christians. And his parents never left their faith. They're committed. And every time he'd say to his parents, why is it that God hasn't given me arms and legs? If God is so powerful, why is he giving me arms and legs? And this is what his parents wisely did. Not only did they put him in a normal school, they didn't, because mentally he's okay. They didn't put him in a, they, they put him in a normal school. They didn't put him in a kind of handicapped school or mentally challenged or whatever school. Normal. Can you imagine normal school with the arms and legs? You'd be teased silly. People, teasing of the children can be the most cruel teasing, right? He endured all that, tried to commit suicide a couple of times and used to say to his parents, Mom and Dad, if God's so great, why was I born without arms and legs? And his parents would tell him this, Nick, you can complain to God for the things that you don't have or you can, think, you can thank God for the things you have and use it for His glory. He said, ah, I don't believe that, I don't believe that. Hey God, why didn't God give me arms and legs? Nick, you can complain to God for the things you don't have. Or you can complain to God, or you can thank God for the things you have and use it for His glory. And he, 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 he rejected that. Until one day, he was reading this, about the story of the blind man in John chapter 6. The story of the blind man in John chapter 6. And uh, John chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. And he's passed by, Jesus passed by. He saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They asked, Jesus, who, who sinned? Was this man or his parents? Because everyone wants a reason. Was my, my child born with spina bifida? Why was my child born with this hydrocephalus or, or this, uh, this mentally, uh, cerebrally challenged problem? Why? Everyone wants an answer. 
Everyone. So the disciples saw an answer, wanted an answer. They saw a man born blind outside the temple as they walked past with Jesus. They stopped. said, stop Jesus, this man. Why was he born blind? Everyone wants an answer. Is it because of his sin or the sin of his parents? See, we all are normal human beings. We ask questions like, what did I do wrong to deserve this? Or my parents did wrong to deserve this. And Jesus said, neither. But so that the glory of God may be revealed. And Nick Wojcik was reading this one day. And that, you know, it, a bell started ringing in his head. A light bulb just went on in his head. A switch was, was, came on in his head. He suddenly saw it. Why was I born without arms and legs? So that the glory of God may be revealed in my life. So he immediately knew what to do next. And Jesus answered, it's not that his man sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be revealed in him. And then he immediately knew what to do next. Because he now knew that he had to live for God. So from that moment, he decided to concentrate on his studies. He decided to have a purpose in life. He finished his diploma, then he finished his, his bachelor's, then he finished his master's. Then you know what? He found that people could identify with him. Many people, many, many people, young people, who were having mental challenges, all kinds of inferiority complexes or problems in their lives, they could challenge, they, 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 they could identify with him. But he became an overcomer. He became an inspirational speaker. He became a sharer of the gospel. Today, Nick Wojcik has spoke to maybe hundreds of millions of people, both physically and online, right across the world. Many of you have heard him, right? Did you hear him when he came to KL? How many of you heard him when he came to KL? He came to KL and I brought, I brought uh, my little daughter then, Sarah, she was nine years old, to come and listen to Nick Wojcik. And there's Nick Wojcik, you know, walking on the table, on a platform like this. And, you know, we managed to get front seats. It was SIBKL. Dr. Chu is my friend. So I managed to get a front seat with, with my daughter. And I said to Sarah, Sarah, you just watch this man. Watch. She said, Dad, why is he like that? He's got no arms or legs. But look at what he's hearing. He's talking about God. He's talking about God making things possible. He's talking about God using what you have. And he's thanking for what you have and then making the impossible possible. I said, he's walk on this, this table. He was walking on this table. You know, he was about that kind of height, walking on the table. I said, Cherry, you look at him. Every time you face challenges in your life, Sarah, remember this. With God, there is nothing you cannot do. Can somebody say amen? Everybody say after me, with God, there is nothing I can't do. All things are possible. Only believe. How many of you believe what you said just now? Can I see your hands? You really believe it? Now, this is what the thing. Whenever you face challenges, the question you must always ask is not why. Why? Why does this happen? What's the meaning of this? The question you must always ask, if you're abiding in the Lord, if you truly are abiding in the Lord, this is the question that we will always ask. You won't ask the question why. The question you will always ask is, God, what next? What do you want me to do next? See, I come into a house, it's totally in a mess. But I know Nancy. I know her love for me. I know her covenant relationship with me. I know her character. I know her commitment to me. I know she will never leave me. I know that's a mess, but it's a mess. My question is, okay, what must I do next? What must I do next? Not why. How come you... What must I do next? What must I do? Oh, I must make sure Nancy is okay. Is there a reason why? Darling, why? What, 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 are you okay? What's the, what's the problem? I, I, I think. Can I help you? What, what's, what next? You always know. Here's the quite thing. Whenever I give you this as, as, as a way to guide you in your life, many of you young lives right now, we've lived longer lives than you. You know, I've lived 56 years with the, with the Savior. 56 years. I've learned to ask this question. I've gone to many, many, many things. Lord, what do you want me to do next? Because implicit in this question, what do you want me to do next, is this. I trust you. It's not a question of character. I trust you. I know you're with me. It's not a question of whether I trust your presence is with me. I know your power is within me. You want me to do some things because you have given me the power and authority to do something. So God, show me. What next? And this will see you through and build resilience in your life. It will enable you to abide in the worst of circumstances. You may have broken up with your boy girlfriend right now. She's 
dumped you and chucked you. And you're like, God, you can spend the whole day answering, God, why, why? You will never get an answer. You have lost somebody who's dear to you to COVID recently. You may never get an answer. Somebody may jump off the bridge and commit suicide. Close friend of yours. And you think you could have done something, but you, you now blame yourself. You'll never get an answer. God, here now, what do you want me to do next? And God will show you. He will show you. You know, many years ago, uh, not many years ago, but four years ago, I was visiting Israel, you know, for many times. I've been to Israel many times. And I take my church, people to Israel virtually almost every alternate years, I take them there to Israel. And they all come because they want to see what it's like. And many of them, you know, they work hard to save and they come. And they come simply because when they open the pages of the New Testament, it becomes a life to them after they come back from Israel. Okay? Now, even if you don't have the means to go to Israel, you can now go to YouTube and do all these things. Everything, okay? For free, you can go, okay? So don't feel, oh, yeah, only money, people got money, can do all this, can see, uh, you know. No, you can go to YouTube and check out everything I'm saying to you right now. You can go to YouTube. But still, if you want a holiday and you want an experience, you can pay for it, then come, come to Israel. And I brought them to the Pool of Siloam. The Pool of Siloam was discovered in Israel only recently. Only, it was rediscovered only recently. For many years, people thought there was a pool, there was a pool of Siloam, but it wasn't. The, the, it, only in the last 10 years, they did discover the pool of Siloam and they dug it up. And this is the pool of Siloam. It's a massive pool. Can you see all these things going down? It's going down on the left-hand side. It's, it's it, that pool where it's filled with water before. All these were people sitting here in their thousands. Massive pool. You know, and this is what they would do. You know, and when Jesus encountered the blind man outside the temple, you know where that arrow is in the distance? That point dot there at the arrow, the tip of that, that's where the temple was. So the distance from the temple to the pool of Siloam was more than 1.5, nearly 2 kilometers. Let's look at the next slide. If you look at the, the map, you will find that the pool of Siloam was down there and the, the, the temple was there, okay? The, this is the temple. The temple was here, somewhere here, right here. So, for this blind man, Jesus said to the blind man, what next now? Jesus said, so that the glory of God may be revealed in this blind man. And he said to the blind man, blind man, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Listen, he didn't say to the blind man, if you go down to wash in the pool of Siloam, uh, wash uh, and then come back. Uh, if you come back, you will, you will, you will see. You'll get your sight one guarantee. What's there to lose? Just go down la, and then come back. You'll see whether you get your sight. Nothing to lose what? He just said to the blind man, just go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He didn't say, and you will be healed. Just go and wash. Sometimes God tells you these things. You say, God, what next? God says, this next. But God, what is solve my problem? He didn't tell you whether it will solve your problem. He just said, this next. But will it get back my boyfriend? He didn't say that. Will it help me to get through the course that I want and get, get through this course in capacity? He didn't say that. Well, my parents not divorced now because, you know, I do what you say. He didn't promise that. Just go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And you know what this, old, this blind man had to do to cause the pool of Siloam? Next slide. It was during a festival time. Next slide. It was during a festival time and people were walking from the pool of Siloam. They wash in the pool, you understand? Ritual cleaning. And then they make their way up one and a half kilometers to the temple because that's where all their rituals are going to be held, right? They wash themselves. So the crowd was going up the steps all this journey to the temple. This blind man, he's going in the opposite direction. He's blind. All the crowds are coming against him. He's blind. He's trying to get down to the temple. You know, he's coming against them. He's just trying to get down to the temple down there. And he's blind. As far as we know from the story, nobody assisted him. No one. He's just like... <laughs> And people are pushing him, blind man, get out of the way. Get out. What are you doing here, blind man? What are you doing? It's like, he doesn't know. He knows the pool of Siloam. Excuse me, where's the pool of Siloam, please? Uh, oh, come on, blind man, just get out of the way. Like, Excuse me, somebody show me about the pool of Siloam. There's no guarantee he would be healed. No guarantee to get the sight back. He was going against the current. And all the time, his blindness was the main problem. You got problems? This man's got problems. And Jesus, but if you abide in him, he will tell you, what next? But you can do it or not. What next? Huh? But we solve my problem or not? Jesus, if we solve, then I will do it. Lah. 
When my parents not, they get divorced or not, then I'll do it lah. He says, he will tell you what to do. So the blind man struggled. He struggled. He went down one and a half miles to the pool of Siloam against the crowd. How difficult is that? I don't know how long it took. Half an hour? Hours? I don't know. He got down the pool of Siloam. And then the Bible tells us he washed. Just as Jesus said. He didn't do anything. He just followed. He washed. And then as he washed, his eyes opened. He saw. He saw the crowds. He saw the sun. Remember, he'd never ever seen this. He was born blind. He was born blind. He's like, oh, I cannot see the sun. He's never seen it before. He had hurt people, now he sees them. Wow. And then he makes his way up. He goes up again. He now makes his way up the steps. Bible tells us. He goes back to that temple entrance there. Jesus is gone. No longer there. But he did what Jesus told him. So this is why we must abide. You know, let's move on to the next slide. This is why we must abide. Many years ago, when Sarah, our daughter, was four years old, she was found, many of you know the story, she was strangulated, found accidentally strangulated in the backyard of a friend's house, and she was brought down dead. Dead. Four years old, dead. No pulse, no respiration. Pupils of the eyes fixed and dilated in the hot afternoon sun. No movements, nothing. She was dead. Face completely blue with a, you know, cord mark around her neck from the ropes. Found seven minutes after she was found strangulated. Probably seven to nine minutes. We don't know how long, but not. She was brought down dead. And you know, the, the violent teacher found her, cried out to God. She was a believer. She was a member of our church, cried out to God. And eventually, I, I was summoned. I ran, I, you know, I drove in my car. My nurse drove me as fast as I could. But you know, when you abide in God, the presence comes. The presence just comes. So when you abide in God, firstly, you surrendered. His life flows through you. Secondly, you're aware of His presence that even though there's a mess in here, there's a mess in here. Go back to the next slide, please. Go back to the slide before. When, you are, when, he's, when, when you're surrendered, you know that he's, he's in you. You know that He is in you. And therefore, when and you feel His power flowing through you. Instead of just panic, you just feel His power through you. So as I was caught in a traffic jam, trying to get to my daughter, I ask, what do you think we should ask? Lord, what do you think we should ask? What I've taught you to ask, God, what next? What do you want me to do next? And the Lord said, I want you to speak life into her. Because this is an attack from the enemy. And I was, I was, I was about to lead together with the bishops and the, and the leaders of the city, a citywide prayer against the powers of darkness in our city. And the Lord said, this is an attack from the enemy. This is what made you want to speak life in your child. So I got there. I got there even before the ambulance. The ambulance service was so bad in KK. I, I, didn't, I wasn't that far away, but I got there before the ambulance. And the first thing I did was not pull up my medical bags, put on my stethoscope, you know, do all my things. The first thing I did in the first 15, 20 seconds was, Sarah, you shall not die. You shall live. Jesus heals you. In Jesus' name, I speak life into you. Sarah, you are the child of God. You shall not die. In Jesus' name, you, I speak life. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for healing my... I just spoke life. Medical people heard me say that thing. It is xiao. This doctor is xiao. But I asked God, what next? So I did that. And the long and short of the story is, Sarah came back to life. Okay. Sarah grew back to be a normal young girl, although she had massive signs of brain damage when she was unconscious in a coma. After that, she, you know, she came back to life, then she was brought into the hospital with a co in a coma. She had all the major signs of neurological damage. But God rescued her out of that, healed her completely. Okay. So Sarah is now 24 years old. Sarah is now 24 years old. All right. So you've been through challenges. We've been through challenges. People say, what's Sarah like now? Well, Sarah is now, she's now a medical doctor. 
Okay. She's serving the Lord. She's a worship leader in the church. She's full of the Lord's grace upon her life right now. Here's the thing. You learn to abide. God will teach you to say and ask, what next? But if you're not abiding, you can say what next? What next? Nothing comes. Because it's like a parrot. A parrot you can put a parrot on your shoulder and say, what next? Because I'm not asking, teaching you a formula. Okay? I'm teaching you a relationship. Can somebody say amen? Okay. When I teach you a relationship, you have every right to say, what next? But you don't know this relationship, you can, it just becomes a formula. So, abiding in Him means this. We are surrendered. Everybody surrendered. Okay, but it's very quiet right now. Everybody say surrendered. His life flows through us. We are treasured. Everybody say treasured. His love and peace flows through us. Finally, we are empowered. Somebody say empowered. His miracle flows through us. So that's what abiding means. Let's move on to the next slide. You know, when, we, when that happens to our lives, then, you know, then this is the secret and this is the presence. This is the, the, the foundation of why we are followers of Jesus. Because He is real. Christianity is not a religion. It's not a ritual. Christianity is not coming to church. Not that coming to church is not important. It is vital to gather together, the Bible tells us. But it is not the core of Christianity. It's not the core. The relationship with Jesus is the core. But people always use this as short form. The relationship. I have a relationship with God. How many of you have a relationship with God? Can I see your hands? Wave it in the air. Wave it in the air. We all have a relationship. That's the basis of, 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 of Christianity. You know, that's the message. But here's the point I'm trying to say. Don't just use it as a short term to say, I've got a relationship with God. Go deeper. Abiding. And Jesus said to his disciples before he left planet Earth, last parable now, the parable of the vine, yeah, and the branches. He said this, the last parable, he said, you can have me in your life, all your life, even though I'm not physically present, told his disciples, if you will learn to abide in me, you can have me. And your life will be fruitful. It will be productive. It will be empowered. You will always know my presence. And sooner or later, you will always know what to do next. Because I will lead you. How many of you want that life? Can I see your hands? I want you to stand up on your feet right now because I really want to pray for you. Because I believe that God wants to take Harvest Gen to experience God's miracles and to go deeper in Him. Can somebody say amen to that? Raise up your hand right now and begin. Let's begin to pray in tongues. Lift up your hands right now and begin to pray in tongues. Oh, Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for this wonderful church, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, for your people here. I just thank you, Father, right now for the hunger that's in the Spirit. Lord, I just thank you, God, for every person who's there. Individually, you've created each one to be unique, to be, to be wonderful, Lord, fearfully and wonderfully made. Even if your hands lifted up, your hearts open right now as you, you cry out to Abba, Father, and say, Lord, I want to abide in you. I want you to abide in me. As you cry out to that, to, 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 to your heavenly Father, Papa hears. Your Papa in heaven hears. His son Jesus lives in your heart through his Holy Spirit. He hears, he knows, and as you are yielded to him, remember, remember this. Be surrendered to him. You are not in charge of your circumstances in every way, but be surrendered. Surrender your future to him. Surrender your present to him. Surrender your mountains and your challenges to him. Surrender your aspirations and your ambitions to him. Your dreams, surrender to him. Surrender your health and the longevity of your life. Surrender to Him. Surrender to Him. Surrender the fact that whether you will you know, live in Malaysia or somewhere else, I pray you will live in Malaysia, whatever your future brings, you will surrender to Him. It's okay with you. It's okay with you. But you want to know, God, what next? That's all you want. Lift up your hands right now. Just open your hearts right now. Begin to pray one more time. Sharabahara da karaba. 
Hands lifted up right now as I pray. I speak to the people online as well as the people here on site right now. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, today is your day to give your heart to Jesus because His promise never to leave you nor to forsake you. You can trust this Jesus. He died for you 2,000 years on the cross to take away your sins and mine. And today, if you open your heart, He will come into your heart. I'm speaking to you now. If you have, you have, you know, backslided, you've gone away from the Lord and God is very far away from you, you, the last thing you know is how to abide in Him. But today, you want to return to Him, to abide in Him. Then I will ask you to pray the simple prayer with me, whether to receive Jesus into your heart for the first time or to recommit your life to the Lord and say, God, I want to abide in you. I want to surrender to you. I want to cultivate your presence in my life to spend time with you and talk to you. I want your power, God, to flow into my life and walk in obedience to you. If that's you right now, you pray this prayer. Just say right now, I just say it aloud, you know, wherever you are, online in your room, whether here on site, you say it aloud in your heart and I will just pray together this prayer with me. Say, Father God, thank you that Jesus died for me on the cross. Today I open my heart to you. Lord, I want and long for your presence. Thank you that on the cross you took away my sins. And I'm clean and made holy in your sight. And Lord, I invite you right now into my life. I recommit my life to you. I want to walk to abide in you. Abide in you, Lord. And you in me. Because without you, I can do nothing. From this day, I want to walk and surrender to you. I want to know your presence in my life. Every day to talk to you, to hear your voice. And Lord, I just lift up my hand right now. Open my heart right now. Lord, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to fill my life. Fill my life right now with your power, with your love, with your presence, with your promises, with your voice. Thank you, Jesus. This sermon has been brought to you by Harvest Generation Church. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged.